I'm Alicia Michalisic Kurtz, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where doctors and other healthcare professionals share stories about their real human experiences working in medicine. On today's episode, we will hear the third of four stories that we recorded at a live Real Talk session with the emergency medicine residency doctors at LSU New Orleans. It comes from Dr. Nicholas Salerno, a third-year resident at LSU, originally from Lake Wiley, South Carolina. These days, the majority of doctors don't just finish medical school and turn around and open a clinic to start seeing patients. Instead, we go through the grueling process of completing a residency, plus or minus fellowship, training for three to eight more years in the specialty that we want to become experts in. And as much as I normally feel inclined to give medical TV shows nothing but grief over here, I will say the one thing Grey's Anatomy and ER and Scrubs depict pretty accurately is the fact that while you are in residency, it's literally your life. Mostly because you don't have a lot of time to do anything that's not residency. For years, you work almost every single day, including most holidays and lots and lots of weekends. You miss family vacations, uh, people's graduations, birthday parties, weddings, baby showers, and honestly, sometimes you completely miss that anything is happening in the world at all. You're just so in it that it's common to find ourselves unaware of anything other than our day-to-day experience practically living in the hospital, immersed in this world of medicine, surrounded by people a lot like us, doing the best you can to soak up as much knowledge and clinical experience as possible before you're let loose a few years later to care for patients on your own. With all the stress and pressure and liability of medicine on your very own shoulders without the comfort of your attending there to check your work. This process is really unique and it's really challenging, not only for us, but for the people we love. It's a lot for our families too. Yes, our parents and our grandparents and our siblings and our old friends, but especially I'm talking about our partners, our spouses, our kids, because during most of residency, we're just largely not available to them. Residents have this demanding, extremely inflexible and crazy work schedule that whether we like to admit it or not, forces our nuclear families to let everything be all about us and our career for years. The way medical training is structured, there just isn't space for us to call in sick when your dog needs to go to the vet or to run to your kid's school when they're crying at lunchtime or to go in late one day because you were helping out with something at home that morning or to take those random days off for a PTA meeting or a book club or a parent-teacher conference or whatever it is that we are routinely missing out on. And while we all look towards this light at the end of the tunnel during our training, longing for the day when we will soon have more autonomy and more say in our schedules and get our work-life balance back, the toll it takes on us and our family is real. And we don't get that time back either. The things we miss are gone. They're over. And there we are, just still going to work. This is Nick's story. So when I volunteered to do this, I thought it was going to be me and my friend Alicia in front of a microphone. Um, I didn't probably read Jen's email that said this was in front of a live audience. So I wanted to back out, but I wouldn't. But um, here we go. 
what were you like before med school? And uh, when you compare yourself then to now, how have you changed? I'm rounding up my third year of residency and can surely say that the road to becoming a doctor has been a long one with plenty of ups and downs. How do you attempt to explain the struggles associated with this seven to eight year of our training, i.e. medical school plus residency to an outsider? If I'm talking to someone my age or older, I tell them it's kind of like the 90s film Forever Young with Mel Gibson. In summary, Mel was cryogenically frozen for about 50 years. When he wakes up, the world around him has changed. His friends and family have either gotten old or died. Those years were lost to him and he struggles to integrate back into society. Otherwise, I tell people it's like being deployed for military service. While in training, despite being physically present, practically speaking, we're as good as gone. We're aware of things going on in the world, but there's very little we can actually do. We miss out on so much. Pre-med school life was great. I had a good job in the business healthcare sector. I lived a single life, was financially sound, and traveled a lot. My dog Gabe at the time was seven years old and was a spry black miniature schnauzer. He was a man and we were partners in crime. He was my roommate in college and thereafter. We went to dog parks several times a week. We went on runs together and he had his own seat at the table for happy hour. A little over a year before I entered medical school, I met the one, my wife Renee. I even give Gabe a little credit for helping me land Renee. I think she fell in love with him first. Knowing that medical school was going to be a rough journey and could prove to be tough on a new relationship, I deferred my acceptance for a year so I could lock her in. Just before entering med school, my maternal grandmother was very young, mid-70s. She was in true exemplary health for her age. She was always keeping busy. Her and my grandfather loved to travel and most recently went to Vietnam. Throughout their marriage, they saw much of the world. Grandma continued to teach water aerobics and yoga at the senior center several times a week, something she had done for nearly half a century by this time. And when I was younger, Grandma was a hard ass, but in a good way. She helped raise the kids while my parents were at work. There's absolutely no dessert unless we finish our dinner. And if we were really bad, out came the claw. Um, but that's why we loved her, because this tiny old lady was this little firecracker and she loved us so much. Before med school, work frequently brought me to Tennessee where I got to visit my grandparents every two to three months. We were so close back then. Renee and I got married towards the end of my first year. I had a pulmonology test on Friday and our wedding was the following day. I flew into New Orleans right after my test, less than 24 hours before the ceremony. I just felt so left out because my entire family had been there for days celebrating without me, and it was my wedding. After we got married, Renee and I enjoyed only a few nights at a bed and breakfast for what we called our mini-moon, and then off to school. I still owe Renee a proper honeymoon. Renee gave birth to our son Thatcher at the end of my second year. She went to labor on a Sunday, and I had two anatomy tests the following Monday. Admin showed me some grace and let me make up the test later. I definitely credit the A in anatomy to Thatcher as he got me a couple more days to study. <laughs> Although there are very few certainties in life, one is that we all age. And it's inevitable that some of our loved ones will fall ill and die during our many years of medical training. The day I took step one, I found out my grandmother had been admitted to the hospital. She checked in because she was feeling weak and short of breath, and the ED found her to be pancytopenic. During the admission, she was diagnosed with AML. You really wouldn't believe me if I told you that the last question on my step one test had a picture of AML's pathognomonic hour rods. Then in her early 80s, she had lived a pretty fruitful life and was well-traveled, and uh, she opted to live out her remaining months at home with grandpa under hospice care. I was fortunate to have had the opportunity to visit during a fourth year away rotation. 
She had a few good days when I was visiting her and we went to one of her favorite diners and shared a hamburger and a milkshake. That was the last time I saw my grandma. I found that she had passed when I powered up my phone after taking step two. Because of my schedule, I couldn't go to her funeral. This is another life event that I miss due to the sacrifices we make for medicine. While preparing for this talk, I noticed that my dog Gabe had a distended abdomen. <clears throat> a sighties on a dog is just like a sighties on a human. We went to a bunch of vets, we ended up at a specialist, and I found out that he has a mass pressing on his IVC, and that's what's causing the ascites. He's 14 years old, he's lived a great life, and um, he doesn't look to be in any pain, so he's getting uh, therapeutic paracentesis every two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like our patients, <laughs> and uh, he's doing all right. I'm feeding him wet food now and, and steak. Um, <clears throat> Although my training resulted in less time for me to spend with Gabe, my son Thatcher picked up the slack. They're best friends, and he calls Gabe his big brother. So he's getting his uh, therapy every two weeks, but it's only a matter of time, and you know, Gabe won't make it to my graduation. Starting medical school, I knew there'd be some missing out, and I literally prayed over the years that nobody would get sick, that nobody would die. And I wish that everyone I knew and loved would hit this pause button just long enough for me to get through this, but that's not how it works. While in training, we are essentially deployed. We are aware of what's going on in the world around us, but there's often very little we can do about it. And as we transition from residency to career practice, we find the world has moved on without us during this near decade of absence. Loved ones have gotten old, others have died. We've missed out on many great life events, such as weddings, childbirths, and family vacations. You don't get this time back. But that doesn't necessarily mean we miss out on life, you know. It turns out that while I was hoping everything would stay the same until I got out of training, I also changed. I'm a completely different person in so many ways. And something that has changed to me in an amazing and irreversible way was becoming a husband and a dad. Renee, Thatcher, and I call ourselves a team. And we've accepted that there are many things we miss out on that others living this more traditional life get to enjoy. But this acceptance has allowed us to focus on the things we can control as well as recognize the things we cannot control. We've engineered our family life in a manner that works with my schedule, even though my schedule is often unforgiving. I miss out on more birthday parties, school events, baseball games, date nights, and bedtimes than the average dad. And when Renee and I are at work and we are interrupted with a phone call to bring Thatcher a change of clothes, the task always falls on Renee because I can't leave my patients. We've accepted my absence as something that is often outside our control and have found peace with it. Additionally, we are much more vigilant when it comes to finding quality time with family. For example, if there's an optional residency event or happy hour, I'm probably not going to go because I'd rather spend the time with my family. And Thatcher's fifth birthday is this February, and I was able to get off, and we're going to be throwing him this camping-themed birthday party that he wants. We can't wait. Accepting what's under our control and fine-tuning how we operate has made us more resilient. I have one and a half years left before I transition to career practice. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Renee, when I wake up from this cryogenic sleep, I promise to take you on your honeymoon and I look forward to more family vacations. We're almost there and I couldn't have done it without you and Thatcher. Nick's story reminds us of the often unanticipated depth of the sacrifices we make choosing a career in medicine. It's a strange thing, honestly. It seems to the average outsider like we're choosing our career over our families or our friends. And while I understand that perspective, 
This isn't really what it feels like, though. At least not to me. As a doctor, but as a resident especially, it feels like you're putting your calling, your oath, the promise you made to patients everywhere to care for them, rain or shine, day or night, 24-7, 365. It's like you're putting that promise above your own wants, above your ability to be home with your family or free on holidays and weekends or able to drop everything or be present at whatever moment or at whatever social event you want to. It's not putting residency above your family. It's like putting medicine above your own wellness. And that might seem kind of messed up, but it's true. Nick pointed out that some of this is our choice. Nick, for example, is intentional about skipping optional stuff to spend more time with Renee and Thatcher. And I am confident, given the chance to do it again, he would never change that decision. But not everyone is that intentional. Many of us end up with broken relationships because of the career we chose. We find ourselves unable to shake this sense of responsibility to our job, to our patients. Like we can't let ourselves walk all the way away sometimes. Do you ever feel like your work has you in this cryogenic sleep? Like you're waiting to wake up or to be able to enter the real world again? And if you do, what could you do to change that? even if only a little. Like Renee and Thatcher, the people closest to us really do sacrifice a lot supporting us through our training and subsequent careers. When is the last time that you said a good thank you to your support system? That you honored their willingness to let your aspirations and dreams be such a priority in their lives too? Thank you to Nick Salerno for sharing his story with us to the residents at LSU New Orleans for offering their own reflections and giving us lots of food for thought, to the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or figure out how to bring Real Talk to your residency program? Head to www.vituity.com forward slash Real Talk for more information. Or email us at realtalk at vituity.com.